everybody. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is July the 5th, 2009. On today's show, I'm going to play an interview that I did with the guys from Wilderness Tactical. I spoke with the president, who is Ralph Holtzhouse. I also spoke with uh, Michael Novak, who is their web designer. They are a company that's based out of Phoenix, Arizona. So the products that they make, so things like the instructor's belt, which would probably be the thing that most people would be the most familiar with, um, things like the Safe Packer, their Sonoran shirts, all those things are made right here in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, They are, uh, like I said before, a local company. They're based here in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Real good bunch of guys. I went to the... Uh, their warehouse and factory area and got to see them making some stuff so uh, just a great bunch of guys i also think that they just have really good strong durable products that if you buy them you uh, will get your money's worth oh they're also the stuff that they have is designed with us as shooters and as people who carry concealed in mind so Without further ado, I'll go ahead and play the interview. The sound quality may not be as great um, as I would like it to be, uh, but all in all, I think for a remote location and for recording it on my uh, old iPod, I thought it did pretty well. So hope you guys enjoy. Okay, guys, welcome back. I'm here at Wilderness Tactical Products with uh, Ralph, who is the president, and with Michael. And I've got a few questions for the guys today. Um, if you can give me, Ralph, a brief history, kind of a wilderness tactical. How long have you been in Phoenix? Um, do you like the area? Is this a place where you plan on staying? Yeah, glad to. Um, we started in 1981 as primarily a mountain climbing and backpacking supplier. And uh, as this was going on, I was also... Uh, uh, on the Central Arizona Mountain Rescue Association rescue team, which is also the uh, Sheriff's Department's mountain rescue team, a great deal of time of which I was an uh, operation leader and commander. Uh, so we needed to carry guns. And we were dealing, therefore, with a few things that police use <clears throat> and a few things that, uh, that backpackers and mountain climbers use over the years. Uh, we found that police and tactical type people were just much more to our liking hmm. than backpackers and mountain climbers. Uh, frankly, they seemed to be better customers. Uh, we didn't have to be as careful with having a lot of people watch uh, tactical people and gun people as we did the uh, uh, the mountain climbers and backpackers. We ended up with less shrinkage. Uh, We ended up with uh, people that actually spent more money on good equipment. So uh, we moved into, because it just was a better business, the the tactical end of it, and got out of the mountain climbing and backpacking end of it. We still make some uh, uh, very good, uh, in fact, what we obviously consider to be one of the best backpacks in the world are safari grade uh, so we still do uh, we still do some of it but uh, as a general rule we're uh, 99.9% uh, uh, tactical products and uh, 
tactical equipment. One of the things we had talked about a little bit earlier was, have you seen, once Obama came into the White House, of course, gun sales, ammunition sales, everything went crazy. So have you seen an increase in things uh, that would deal with for holsters, concealed carry type items, or has that remained relatively steady for you guys? Well, if you look at the at the timeline on it, uh, the Obama thing came up, of course, uh, last year. Yeah, he was he was running, and it it looked good. And whoever Bush was doing so badly, popularity wise, that it looked like we were going to get Hillary or Obama in there, and people were already thinking uh, that uh, they better do something because they're liable to lose some important rights with these guys. And uh, that, that was well thought of. Now, as this happened, the economy was taking a drop. So the increase uh, due to the Obama-Hillary scare uh, kind of coincided with the drop in the economy. So although we would have normally popped up, kind of on the tail of the gun uh, uh, gun sellers, you know, the, the yeah. uh, sporting goods companies and gun shops. They took a big jump, but instead of going down, we stayed uh, uh, fairly secure with just a, a slight increase. Mm -hmm. So we kind of tag along uh, with the gun shops and uh, ammunition purveyors, but uh, slightly less profoundly. And then most people are probably going to be real familiar... Um Probably, in my opinion, the, the first product that I became aware of was the, the instructor belt. And I know you guys have some different um, not levels, but different models of that. So you have the, the, uh, the three-stitch, I believe, the five-stitch. the five stitch. You also have different variants, variations as far as the buckles are, are done. And what are some of those type things that you have that well, are we, different? Well, we also have what we call a combat shooter's model. Uh, and it's the belt that has plastic sewn in it. It's got a, uh, a high-density polyethylene uh, uh, polymer that's, that's actually sewn right up to the edges uh, of the belt. And when you shape it like a body contour and you squeeze it, it's uh, extremely rigid. So yeah. it's a good platform for... Uh, uh, heavy stuff, and then some people just want a very, very rigid belt. The five-stitch is not quite as rigid, but is uh, it's the most popular one we sell. And then the three-stitch is the basic one, uh, and there's a lot of dealers around the country, indeed around the world, that sell mostly three-stitch because of the price point. Mm -hmm. uh, we make them uh, both an inch and a half width and inch and three-quarter width. So uh, those those have been our uh, our best sellers uh, uh, for all time, and they they, they continue uh, to be so. Uh, I wanted to do something else, so we devised a way to have Delrin rings made, and we first had them made in a size consistent with our ring belt, which in which case we used. Uh, uh, rappel rings from our own mountain climbing days. There's a company that rolls those from a uh, from a donut shaped piece of aluminum mm. into a uh, oh, 3,600 pound capable ring. And we made the ring belts where you just have two rings together. You weave the belt 
through the rings in such a way as it locks it. And you can pull it tight and it stays that way until you pull up on the rings and it uh, uh, releases it. Well, we had the same size uh, rings made out of Delrin, which is a, a very excellent polymer and it has a uh, the ability not to absorb moisture. So if you happen to be in freezing weather, they won't break. Oh, and okay. uh, there might be some hunters or or some uh, explorers or something like that that go into extremely cold weather. We still have some mountain climber hangers on her that get up. Uh, you know, the Arctic zone is uh, two miles up, not yeah. necessarily thousands of miles to the north or south. And these guys get up on mountains, they get up into the Arctic zone, and they can certainly freeze and they don't want their bell breaking. Um, so we, uh, we started making an inch and a quarter uh, belt that was made exactly the same way as the instructor belt. It was doubled material that was sewn a number of times, which gives it rigidity. So once it, it flexes nicely around your body, but once it's around your body and you were to squeeze vertically on any of these belts, they're, they almost feel like rocks. And so somebody could fly someplace without having to take their belt off and, uh, have their gun checked, and they get where they're going, they can put their gun right on the frequent flyer and uh, go about their business as if they were, were wearing an instructor belt. Yeah, and they still have uh, a very capable, very good supportive belt. So. Absolutely. Then later on, as always happens, people said, could you make it an inch and a half? Well, if more people were interested, we would. Well, more people were interested, mm. uh, so we made a, uh, a, we engineered a bigger ring, so that we could put on an inch and a half belt. Now the inch and a half is the most popular of the frequent flyers. But somebody came along and said, would you make inch and three quarters? And well, if enough people want that, we will, and they did. Mm -hmm. So we make it, but still the uh, inch and a half is the most popular, inch and three quarters is the third most popular, and the little little inch and a quarter uh, that you'd wear on shorts and things is, uh, is the second most popular. So. Okay. Now, one of the things at the uh, NRA convention when I met you guys that I, and I was aware of it, but I'd never seen one in person, was the Safe Packer. And I just, I really fell in love with that thing. Um, I noticed on the website you have, there's a picture of kind of the very first, almost like a prototype, and then it, there's several other things as the years go by, so you can kind of see the evolution of it. Sure. Um, what's kind of a, a little brief history of, of why you made it? and then how some of the uh, improvements came along. And then what we'll talk about a little bit after that is some of the, which I think it has just several, several multi-uses um, that you can, oh, that you absolutely. can use it yeah. for. Yeah. I'll preface it by saying, as with everything here, manufacturing is an evolutionary process. And understanding that, you'll see what, what uh, soon see what happened in the genesis of uh, the safe packer as you will most most of the products that we sell uh, remember i was on the mountain rescue team mm -hmm. we carried with part of the sheriff's department we were armed now one of the most unpleasant things you can think of is to uh, be climbing and and uh, take a fall have the rope catch you and slam you into a rock with your holstered gun being scratched on the rock or worse yet being knocked out of the holster, hopefully it won't hit your belayer that's 70 feet down and uh, put him out of commission, leaving you in a bad place. So there, there just was, uh, was no good way at the time to carry an obtainable weapon on your body. 
the uh, the other alternative, or the alternative at the time, was to put the gun in your pack. You know, you could put the gun in your pack. However, sometimes you don't climb with your pack. It's being hauled, mm -hmm. and due to something, you could be separated from your pack. Now you're separated from your gun. We don't like that either. So uh, came up with this idea. Actually, a customer came in who was on the rescue team, and we talked about it and came up with the first one. It was a, a rectangular pad, and we designed it to put the gun in along with the, uh, along with the spare magazine. And it had a little flap that came down over it, and everything was protected. Well, it didn't take long for us to think of the fact if we made the, the flap longer, we could fold material back under it with a Velcro closure and have a pocket in the flap. So uh, then we ended up with a, uh, an idea of putting a, uh, a strap on the back of it, wide material that went all the way around from the back to the front with Velcro, so that you could rip it on and off and put it on something like a pull handle of a car or a climbing belt position that you could normally not get to because things are sewn on each side mm. and won't allow you to slide a holster over there. So you simply uh, detach part of the of this belt loop, re-Velcro it around. Uh, you've got it sewn on the top. It's Velcroed around, and that was the... That's how we got started with the adjustable and movable uh, belt loop. And it just kept going and going and going. We put D-rings on the top with a carry handle on the top. Uh, we put adjustable straps with side release buckles to get in it instead of undoing a Velcro strap. So now you've got a side release buckle to just pop loose, flip the flap up, and uh, reach in and obtain the gun if it is uh, on your waist. Or you can carry it in your hand with that uh, top strap, as the instructions will show you. It's, it's going to be hard for me to enumerate it uh, with words so that uh, somebody can, can picture it very yeah. well. But uh, if you do it right, you can easily obtain the weapon while holding the thing in, the, say, the uh, right-handed person, holding the safe packer in the left hand and obtaining the gun with the right hand then you can either drop the holster away or you can uh, uh, use it to steady your uh, your shooting hand. Uh, we can put shoulder straps on it now with the D-rings that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we have a device called a Safe Packer Runner's Pack. Uh, if if anybody was uh, were here, they could see that we've got one on the mannequin right across the floor. And it's a belt with two bottles, and then it's got some straps on it to... Uh, attach other things, and you can attach the safe packer to that. And now you've got this neat little deal you can hike or jog with, carrying your gun, carrying your spare magazine, carrying your uh, wallet and your concealed weapon permit, uh, carrying other things on packs, and water at the same time. And it looks pretty innocuous. Yeah, looking uh, at it right now, nobody... There's, there's two water bottles on the side. You can also um, go to the website and you can see it there. Right. Um, but it's, nobody would take a second look at that, and that's primarily what you want. Exactly. Uh, it, just, it just blends right in. So we have shoulder straps for it. We have a packer backer that allows you to carry it like a gun-carrying fanny pack, sort of on your, uh, uh, over your appendix or the other side, mm -hmm. uh, so that you can open it uh, somewhat like you would a gun-carrying uh, fanny pack, uh, and then the shoulder strap works very well. Then there's a hand carry and the uh, 
the runner's pack carry. And you can attach the safe packer to the pack belt on your pack. Uh, the only thing is, just when you get where you're going, take your pack off, uh, put the gun on you. Yeah. And uh, I have a reason for saying that, or a lot of reasons for saying that, but don't go letting your gun be removed from you by some 20 or 30 feet as you're wandering around your camp. Um, also, on the website and, and some of the stuff that Michael had, had, had talked about before, and one of the things that I had never really thought about was that you can, uh, by unfolding the, the safe packer, you can take the top, what I would call the top flap, and if you're traveling or if you're at home, you can shove that in between the box spring and the mattress. And what you've then got is basically a nice holster that's not sitting on top of the of, the, of your nightstand, where 90% of people probably keep their gun. So I think it would give you a little bit more of an advantage uh, if somebody who is an experienced burglar or thief is going to come in and they're, they're in your home when you're in there asleep, they may check that top of the nightstand, but they're not really going to go down, especially if it's dark at night, and be able to see that weapon readily. Uh, so it may give you a, an advantage again. Oh, it gives you a great advantage, especially if you move it a little bit up on the bed to where it's hidden between the bed and your nightstand. Yeah. Then it's really hard to see. I guess we can call this the bed carry, but that doesn't really work that well. But uh, uh, this this has been done by a lot of people, in, in, including me. And uh, I, I frankly don't like to be uh, very far from a firearm. They uh, they do absolutely no harm. Uh, you know when they're there and uh, when you need them, there is no there's no. There's no way to uh, supplant it with anything else. You can be as good as you want with knives, clubs, uh, throwing furniture, but there's no alternative uh, to a firearm if, if the need arises. So uh, that's, That's correct. When you yeah. need it, you need it, and nothing yeah. else is going to take its place. Um, another thing I noticed on the website, which I thought was good, especially for, for long trips, and is that there's a way, and it shows on the website, you can configure it to go across the strap of your seatbelt. And so that you can have the gun right there, which is nice because a lot of people will carry in the, oh, let's say like the, the 4 o'clock or even the 6 o'clock, maybe small in the back. Well, if you're in the car for three four hours, that's going to become uncomfortable. Um, and so I, I thought that was a really another good kind of multi-use of it was to be able to have it. It's right there. It's immediate. When you get out, it's easy to take it out. You don't expose the gun. You never handle the gun. But you still have it on. You basically still have it on you when you go into a... Uh, a McDonald's or wherever, uh, and that way you've got it. Well, you attach it to the lower part of the chest belt, the cross chest yeah. belt, and uh, there, there it is, right there. Uh, uh, if something happens, God forbid, and you manage to get the car upside down, this thing isn't flying out the window or something like that. It's right there with you, and um, uh, with the new cars being so safe, you're going to be able to push the 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 airbag out of the way and unclip your safe pack or get out of the car and uh, uh, you and the uh, gun will be together. Uh, another thing, and I would kind of thought about it, and I don't know if anybody else, but with that being sort of out there and in the open, if you were in an accident or if somebody came up and uh, the driver of the car was incapacitated or unconscious, I think it would still be relatively easy for the passenger, if they didn't have a firearm on them, to reach over and be able to become armed and engage any threats. Uh, well, it's on the passenger it's, side of your body. Yeah, because so, it's not yes. it's not basically trapped behind your body, 
pressed up against the car seat. So yeah, that's true, and just uh, just a lot of things can be done with that. It uh, I I happen to have one. Uh, obviously, I can get them quite easily. Uh, huh. I have one for every pistol I own. Every pistol I own is kept in one when it's not on me, in a uh, in an inside the pants holster. Uh, when I, uh, whenever I want to, whichever one I want, I, I can pick it up. It's got spare ammunition in it, and it is in good shape. You so, so you can immediately grab one, walk out to the car, um, and I, you know, I've I've got got an extra gun, a backup uh, gun with me all the time. Uh, it might be in the trunk. It might be on the seat belt. Uh, mm. uh, just depend depending on what I'm doing at the time. Uh, if I'm going into places where, uh, uh, such as court, uh, jury duty, where you can't have a gun, then uh, uh, you can bring that into the courthouse here in Arizona, and you can ask to secure it, and you can secure it, and then you're not dealing with the gun sticking out and, and having some poor guard decide whether he should check it or not, and hopefully if he does, he's good at it and uh, doesn't turn something loose yeah uh, but when it's in the safe packer they're usually happy to just have you put the thing in there uh, you know undisturbed and then when you come and get it uh, you leave with it and it seems to make everybody very happy um, now one of the things and, and Michael had talked and I had talked about this on, on a previous phone call because it, I know it's designed as a holster, but because you don't see any part of the of the firearm, you don't see the butt, you don't see the barrel or anything. Under Arizona law, would that be considered if, if a person who didn't have, let's say, a, a concealed carry permit, would that be a, a kind of a gray area, or is that thing, or would that be considered to be concealed because you can't see uh, any, any part of the weapon? Well, it. Um... Things have changed now because of the concealed weapon uh, permit laws. And uh, uh, at one time, we had what I consider to be one of the only ways to carry a, a weapon and not have it shown as a weapon, yet not violate the concealed mm. weapon laws. Now, though, that law hasn't changed, by the way. Uh, but to paraphrase it, it says if... If a weapon is carried in a gun or case designed for carrying a gun or carrying a weapon, any part of which weapon or, or holster or case is showing, then it is not a violation of the law. Okay, now, uh, at that time we had a wonderful Attorney General, Bob Corbin. And Bob Corbin would tell people, that's legal. The safe packer is legal. Uh, you can see it. It was made only for carrying a gun. It was it was never a fanny pack that somebody stuck a holster in, mm. and and you know made it a gun carrying fanny pack. The safe factor packer didn't exist in any form before it was holstered. Okay, so this satisfied Bob Corbin. He's pro gun anyway. So it was it was pretty well uh, understood by police and everything that that was considered by everybody to be legal, and since the officers knew what it was, uh, that nobody was in danger, because the concealed weapon laws were generally promulgated for the protection of the police officer. Yeah. 
to begin with, and now the police officers know what they were, and and no no problems ever happened. Once in a while, if a guy got mouthy or something uh, with a police officer, the police officer might start leaning on him about that a little bit, but otherwise, we never had a problem. Now, after the concealed weapon law passed, and you could get a concealed weapon, the question is, why wouldn't you? Some people believe they have a right to carry a gun without a, a concealed weapon permit, and they're not going to get a concealed weapon permit. Uh, uh, I'm not willing to tilt at windmills to that extent, and uh, uh, the, the state of Arizona, in their wisdom, gave me the ability to carry a concealed weapon with a concealed weapon permit. I'm going to do it. But it started a mind change that said, if you want to carry a concealed weapon, get a permit. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have found that it's probably best if you're going to carry a gun in our safe factor to get a concealed weapon permit, although some haven't. And there's been some cases where people have been arrested, in which cases I wrote a letter to the judge uh, citing the genesis of it, and I understand that they've all been released. Okay. Okay. But get a concealed weapon permit. We've got the best deal going that we could possibly hope for, and let's not waste it. Let's 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 not play games. Uh, other states will give us re reciprocity. Many others do. You're not going to get that without a concealed weapon permit. That's true. And uh, right now, if you happen to have a weapon in your car and drive by a school, you're violating federal law unless you have a permit from your state. If you don't have concealed weapon permits, how can you have a permit from your state? So therefore, you can drive by a school within a thousand feet and not violate federal law because you can have a concealed weapon permit. There's no excuse. Do you know of anybody who's actually had to use or who's had the system on them and then came up in a uh, like a self-defense situation, not where anybody had to necessarily get shot or anything like that, but to where they were able to use it, access the weapon, and, and come out on top of the encounter? Uh, that so that has happened, and strangely enough, it, had, it happened uh, uh, down the way from, uh, from our store when it was on 19th Avenue in Coulter here in Phoenix, and what had happened was a couple of our customers had met at our store to look at a telescope. Uh, while they were doing that, uh, they decided to go down to the liquor store at the end of the uh, little mall and get a Coke. Uh, one of them happened to be a Mormon, and he drank Gatorade. Uh, and he was the one that had his money in his safe packer, so he took his safe packer down to the liquor store with him, and when he walked in, apparently a couple of uh, people were robbing the store. Um, as soon as he walked in, they turned their guns on him, and you could hear it all the way down, you're dead. The This was said by the perpetrators to our people, the, uh, uh, the two that went to buy Cokes and Gatorade. One of them came running out of the store yelling, armed robbery in progress, at which time I came out uh, and started heading down there. It was uh, two or three doors down, not an awful long way, and uh, shots were fired. And the same guy yelled, shots fired, Jim is down. So the uh, uh, this is wrong information. Uh, I thought that 
My friend, or my customer, was being shot, so I entered the store just in time uh, to be on the receiving end of a ricochet uh, from the good guy through the bad guy, mm. right in the right in the head, and right now I'm pointing to what would be my hairline if I had any, uh, <laughs> in the middle of my forehead, and uh, I got when I got in the door, the two guys were down, the bad guys were down, and uh, I felt the hole in my head, thinking a bullet went in there and it didn't, it just bounced off. It burnt but wasn't a hole, so I uh, I breathed a sigh of relief. But what happened was, uh, as these guys came at Jim um, with guns saying, you're dead, he simply opened his safe packer up, drew the weapon out, and shot at them. He was just doing something automatically under threat of his life. And uh, he was successful uh, in doing that. He stopped them. It was in his intent to stop them, and he, he stopped them. Um, he was not shot, and we were able to remove the... Uh, uh, the weapons, and uh, it turned out uh, all right. Do you know of anybody that offers, as part of their training course, using the Safe Packer as uh, to train with, as opposed to you know going to the range and saying, okay, this is what I need to do, or kind of on your own type thing? During the time that the Safe Packer was used um, under, I'm going to say the Corbin era in the Attorney General's office, there were a few police officers who carried their weapons that way. Uh, we used to make a briefcase that you could attach the safe packer to, and uh, one of them actually, one of the officers actually qualified out of the safe packer on his briefcase uh, mm -hmm. with the, and I believe that was the 300 system, where uh, there's a new one. It's 250 uh, or 260. Uh, 260. Uh, but uh, he actually qualified that way. And he, when the concealed weapon law first came into effect, and he was teaching classes, he did. He he taught that. I don't know if a if he's still teaching and b if if he is, he's still doing that. Uh, so I I couldn't tell you anybody's name now that is teaching that, but I understand some do. Okay. okay. And probably with a, if you had maybe a good instructor, they could, you could maybe find out through word of mouth type thing. If Even if your instructor didn't, who you're getting training from, they may say, oh, well, Jim so-and-so down the, down the way does, uses it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and there, there, you know, there's probably some concealed weapon instructors that don't even know about the safe packer. Yeah. Well, obviously, exactly. in this case, too, we can offer any guidance that would be necessary to both customers and any instructors that have the interest. We've actually known quite a number of instructors that think highly of it and use it themselves at times. I'm uh, not aware, though, of them integrating it into the program. Okay. Because that's something I would kind of like, because uh, I'm sure lots and lots of people carry them. Um, and I'm hoping that they at least go and practice with them, get a good smooth motion uh, to where when it, if the chips are down, it, it's not a fumbling... Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, just FYI, back in the early 90s, I was involved with IPSC competitions, and I intentionally ran several competitions with the Safe Packer. I won't claim to have won, not that I would have won no matter what holster I was using, <laughs> but I, 
but I actually did perfectly well, and I think it was an eye-opener for a lot of other people to see with practice how fluid you can become with it, how easy it is to both uh, put into action and reholster. Uh, and for myself, it just validated the whole system. Yeah, when so, I've uh, when I've watched both you guys do it, when I was watching you at the uh, at the NRA, it's very fluid, very smooth, um, and just uh, I, I wouldn't think you'd need hours and hours of practice, but just with a little bit of practice, I, I think you'd be able to to draw that out and bring it up and have it right there at the ready. Sure, uh, a, a a skilled shooter or combat shooter is going to have very little problems because he doesn't have to try to remember how to hold a gun. Yeah. He doesn't have to try to remember all of the other things, just getting it out of the safe packer and putting it back. Uh, somebody that, that has to learn everything, uh, you know, is, is going to have to work at it a little bit harder. Uh, but they have to learn how to hold the thing, how to, uh, you know, the modified weaver, if that's what they use, or the isosceles. And there's a lot of things to do. You remember in the front side and yeah. Uh, front side center and mass squeeze and stuff. Uh, but somebody that's already got this drilled in their head from thousands of hours of doing it only has to work the safe packer and that. Yeah. That was easy for us. Um, let's kind of uh, move on a little bit when we were talking a little bit about maybe some of the um, current house bills that are going through right now. Um, we talked a little bit about there's, um, I think, the parking lot carry, we, we think we're not 100% sure, but we think that may have gotten a sign. Um, I, the last information I got, they were talking about defensive display, uh, and, and that I think will, will be going to our current governor's desk and probably will get signed. Uh, another bill is Senate Bill uh, 1113, which deals with uh, restaurant carry. Um, for those of you guys that are listening that are outside of Arizona, you cannot go into any type of a bar or restaurant that serves alcohol for consumption and have a firearm. Um, the current bill will change that to where if you are a concealed carry permit holder, and again, this is another reason to go out and get a permit, uh, you would be able to enter into a pizza hut that serves beer uh, or a Olive Garden and uh, be able to sit in there and enjoy your meal. Uh, just you would not be able to consume any alcohol, um, and I know Ralph, you had been involved in some of the other uh, processes as far as getting the concealed carry permit and things like that going through. And could you give us some of your experiences of that when that was first kind of uh, coming down the pipe or, or was first being introduced as a possibility for people here in Arizona? Sure, that goes back to the Safe Packer too. Uh, the chairman of the subcommittee on concealed weapons. Um, asked me to uh, appear before a subcommittee meeting with the safe packer, showing the members of the subcommittee how the safe packer worked. Uh, so I did. I went down there and explained that to them. At the same time, they were having testimony in favor and against, uh, in favor of and against uh, uh, concealed weapon permits. At that time, the chiefs of police association which is always against everything, Yeah, uh, was against it. And they had uh, uh, people there represented by a non-police officer uh, uh, that worked as a in a captain's position at the Phoenix Police Department who testified that even though there was a contract out on his life, he doesn't want to carry a concealed weapon or get a concealed weapon permit. 
uh, and made made a complete uh, backside out of himself. Then we had some other people that said um, the police chief, the, uh, the director of DPS feels the officer's life would be in danger if people were allowed to carry concealed weapons. At the same time, testifying that all police officers think all people are armed. But yet, when he was asked, well, then what's wrong with carrying a concealed weapon with a permit? He said, well, then they would really be armed. So some, somehow, a bunch of people that were against it made themselves look like idiots. Or should I say proved they were idiots. And uh, then the pro people got up and uh, explained how somebody who could pass the requirements that we knew would come uh, for a concealed weapon are not going to be a danger to anyone. And since the police already think everybody's armed, uh, what's wrong with a good, honest, law-abiding citizen that can pass the same background test as any police officer in order to uh, get a concealed weapon? What's wrong with him being armed? He doesn't hurt anybody. That's how he was able to get it. So that, you know, with, with just the testimony uh, and everything, and I, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to speak. And then after that, I got invited back to speak at all of the hearings that came up at the state legislature. And so that, that's how I got involved in that. A lot of other people, too, uh, uh, did a great job. Uh, Michael Anthony, uh, a lawyer uh, who, who is a, a wonderful guy, uh, was able a few times to sit with me, and he was reading some of the things that we would get without enough time to actually read it all so that we could uh, uh, speak intelligently to the committee. Mm -hmm. So he was very helpful that way, and then he spoke very eloquently about it, too. So we're, a lot of people had a lot to do with it, and, uh, and it got done. That's the important thing. And another important point that, that I always try and stress is, you, especially with some of these, these current bills, I think with, with the sort of rise in, in popularity and power of the Internet, lots of people who otherwise would, would never have known when bills are coming through and would also never would have been willing to kind of contact uh, a representative or a state senator are now doing that. And it's, it's actually very easy, and you can set it up in your computer to, to carbon copy everybody or to blind carbon copy them, and you can send things out. I do it all the time, um, and uh, it's, it's so easy to do that you kind of kick yourself, why wasn't I doing this years ago? Um, yeah. So I, it, it's so important for people to, to become involved, um, and I send them to the, you know to the opposition as well. And uh, I, my, my stuff is I'm always polite and say thank you for your time and service. And uh, generally don't hear back from most of them; they're pretty busy. But occasionally I do, uh, and I've heard back from uh, what I would call the pro-gun side, and also from the anti-gun side. Uh, but always very polite language and. And things like that. So I think that's kind of one of the things when people, a lot of times, will write into me and ask, "Well, what are some of the things that you can do?" And I think that's one of the most important things: is those representatives, those senators, they need to know your name, they need to know who you are, um, so that they can represent your interests. And and uh, we're lucky to live in Arizona, where we have, you know, compared to Illinois, compared to other places that are very draconian, we have it 
pretty good. But the, the stronger we can make our stake, the better example we are to others. Because uh, blood never runs in the streets. People don't get shot yeah. over parking spaces. People don't get shot over french fries. It, it just doesn't happen. So. doesn't happen. And the important thing is uh, when it comes to notifying the legislators uh, about your feelings, never pass on one thing. Do everything. Don't miss yeah. one opportunity. Don't ever get the idea that since other people are doing it, you can uh, sit this one out this one time. Uh, you got to do it. It's it, it's the way we've gotten things done before. So make it happen every time. Go after those folks and let them know. Be nice. Be respectable. We want pro-gun people to be lovable and let the anti-gun people be jerks. We had talked a little bit before the interview about a gentleman named Harold Fish. Um, for the listeners, if you, you can go on to ProArms' website and listen, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what the, uh, the episode number was, but they talk about his case and go into a lot of the details. Um, what had happened was Mr. Fish was going down a trail, and you guys jump in if I get anything wrong or, or I'm leaving something out. Uh, he was um, chased by some dogs, felt in fear for his life, fired a shot at the dogs, the dogs broke off. The dog's owner stormed Mr. Fish, basically screaming obscenities that he was going to kill him. Uh, Mr. Fish said, your dogs are okay, your dogs are okay. The guy kept coming. He ended up having to defend himself because he felt he was in fear for his life. Unfortunately, at the trial, several things weren't brought up. The person's, uh, the decedent's criminal record, and in, in many cases, he, he had, did not get a adequate enough defense to counter some of the things that the prosecution had brought up. Things such as that he was using a, uh, a 10 millimeter, which was more than the police use. He was using uh, what they termed uh, super bullets or, or hot bullets um, that, again, nobody needs to use those. The police don't use them, that type of thing. So um, I think, Michael, you had said that he was going to be getting a... Uh, a new trial, or he was, his appeal had been heard. Uh, yeah, apparently just in the past day, in fact, Ralph's the one who informed me of this just yesterday, we got word that he will be getting a new trial. Yeah, the Court of Appeals held that the trial judge uh, should have allowed uh, information as to the decedent's uh, criminal background. Also, I want to mention one thing that uh, Mr. Fish intentionally grounded that shot as a warning shot to scare up the dogs, which was successful. He was not shooting at them and not trying to hit them. He was uh, trying to hurt nobody. The appeals court held that uh, things were left out of there. And this is, this is a case of an anti-gun prosecutor who has an agenda and an anti-gun judge that, uh, that want to punish people uh, however they can. And they have the, uh, uh, the weight of the law and the courts and the state and all the money in the world behind them. And this this was a travesty, and uh, Mr. Fish is going to be found not guilty on retrial. Yeah, I believe I believe he will be. I think that his, his defense will, a lot of the things that were crucial and that maybe swayed the jury will be able to be successfully countered or, or answered to this time. Whether or not they're even brought up this go-around, I don't know. Um, but again, some of the things of one of the jurors had made the point that he had given a warning shot to the dogs, but had not given a warning shot to the 
person that was basically right on top of them. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of that is that mindset is more common than we'd like to believe. Uh, a lot of it just because I think the way the media portrays things, television shows, they always show them firing a warning shot in the air, or just random. But of course, you you know we're we're always responsible for every bullet that comes out. So uh, to fire off a warning shot in the air is not the smartest thing you can do. Well. And you, uh, you hear lawyers always using the term uh, to a prospective client. You want to be judged by a jury of people that are too stupid to get out of jury duty. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps these jurors should have been checked for uh, frontal lobotomy scars. It seems like a warning shot is going to be uh, a warning shot to everybody that can hear it. And uh, for him to think that it might be more just to give everybody their own warning shot is just so absurd that uh, it, it leads us to believe that the jury system is kind of a scary thing now. Yeah, and you had brought up the point earlier that, in, in essence, you could say that he already had a warning shot because he heard the shots uh, earlier at the dog. He heard the shots. So, and then the, the, uh, the perpetrator still made the decision to charge a person who he knew had a firearm and who he knew was willing to use it in, uh, in, in their own defense. So... Hopefully things will go well for Mr. Fish. Uh, is there a, a defense fund that can be contributed to that you are aware of? Yes, there is, and uh, I can't cite it right now, but it is shown on our website. Yeah, we actually have a link on our homepage to okay. that. So if they, if they get on that, uh, uh, they'll be able to find out. But uh, we as a company are going to contribute uh, uh, more to his defense, and uh, we'd love for everybody that uh, that can possibly do it you know if you can afford it please do it if you if you can't you can't thank yeah. you anyway but uh, we we've, we've got to help this man and we've got to stop this nonsense it's uh, it's gone too far yeah in a what, lot of places yeah what this will do too is and I'm like I said I'm confident that he'll he'll be uh, I don't know what the legal term is but we'll just say found not guilty or acquitted or Sure. Or uh, whatever. But what it does do is it does set a precedent so that if, if this happens to uh, to me or to Michael or to Ralph later down the road, at least there's, if we found ourselves in a certain situation or a similar one, there's been legal precedent set. Uh, and and uh, that can be cited, again, for a positive defense. Uh, well, gentlemen, I think we're going to call it to a close. I'd like to thank you guys very much for taking the time. I know you didn't have to do it. I really appreciate well, it. Um, Thanks, Tony. Our pleasure. I think one of the reasons I wanted to come and talk to you guys is I, uh, I always appreciate people that not only want to um, cater or, or sell to the firearm people in the firearms community, the Second Amendment community, but people that also believe in the Second Amendment, believe in our rights to self-defense and rights to carry. Uh, I also think you guys have stellar products, uh, top-notch. Well, um, I've had my belt that I've got, um, and I'll probably do my own product review at the end of the podcast after, uh, after we do the, um, the interview. But the thing wears like iron. I've never had a better belt. I carry concealed every single day. Uh, I have a, a firearm on me unless I'm asleep. Um, and the thing just it wears like iron. Um, the only problem I have with it is I've lost some weight, so I'm not as fat as I used to be, so I'm probably going to have to buy me another one that uh, fits a little better. But even said that, I bought a little bit bigger one 
And as I've lost some of my blubber, I still can wear this belt no problem. I've got there's plenty of adjustment in it both ways. So if you gain a little or lose a little, uh, fantastic product. Um, are there any other uh, products or things that you guys make that maybe the, the average person or the average uh, uh, person in the, in the firearms community wouldn't know about or something that you'd like to, to, to make known? Well, you know, we actually make a, a very diverse array of products. We're, uh, we're, we've always been an eclectic company. So many companies in this arena will make a laundry list of, mm. of things that they feel like they have to make, whether they have any special idea of making something different or better. Uh, that's not really who we are. Uh, we tend to make some, some unusual things. Probably what we'd like to really make sure everyone knows about most right now is we have a, uh, a clothing line known as Sonoran Shirts. And the Sonoran Shirts were uh, developed very specifically with concealed carry in mind. Uh, our president, Ralph, right here next to me, uh, actually was quite a fan of Hawaiian shirts for many years, as was I, uh, and very good Hawaiian shirts. Uh, however, after some investigation and some prodding and looking into the manufacturers, it seems almost impossible to get any of the big names that make really, truly good quality Hawaiian shirts to do something with us in, in the realm of what we were after. Uh, so it really was decided just to bring it in-house. So these shirts are aimed really at the concealed carry market. They are very much like what you would expect out of a Hawaiian shirt, but they are called Sonoran shirts because, by and large, we're trying to use a lot of patterns that are evocative of our, our wonderful southwest area mm. here that we all love so much. Uh, it's really what we characterize it as is more of a guideline than a rule. And we have, starting in this last generation of patterns, gone to a few like our blue hibiscus that are much more, you know, expected in, in terms of Hawaiian shirts. Uh, but in terms of the patterns, what else is important about that is that about every six months we do a shift in patterns. So it's going to be very hard over the years for anyone to point to that guy and say, hey, I know that's a concealment shirt. Yeah. That was really the guiding criteria in much of the design. While there are a lot of seemingly low-profile shirts out there, that are meant for concealed carry, that have all sorts of hidden pockets and Velcro and things like that. Truthfully, to most of us, we can spot them a mile away. They're not really that well hidden. Uh, whereas, if you go to something like a Hawaiian shirt, my opinion is that you blend in a lot better. Uh, having said that, though, the Hawaiian shirts themselves aren't really intended for this purpose. So what we did was we added uh, right around uh, an inch of girth to compensate a bit for weapons and uh, spare magazines, uh, leatherman tools, phones, what have you. Honestly, even if you're not carrying a gun, we all tend to carry so much these days in terms yeah. of iPods and everything else that a little extra girth isn't bad. Yeah, you know, maybe a little, maybe we have a little extra girth of our own, so it works well. Uh, we also added an extra inch in length, so if a person is opting for a belt holster you know, as opposed to inside the pants holster. Uh, in some cases, it's going to give them uh, a little bit more coverage and actually let them pull that off. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a conventional shirt, you know, they might be able to pull it off, but as soon as they start moving around and bending over and getting in and out of vehicles, that might be a little trickier. Might not be quite as sure of that. Um, as far as everything else about the shirt, 
Uh, it has some wonderful attributes. Uh, we ended up putting two pockets, two chest pockets on it. Uh, and the idea of that was if you use the shirt as an open front covering garment over, say, a t-shirt, uh, it lets you put items in both pockets to balance them That's out. It, yeah. Because you need a little bit of weight there to keep it from blowing around in the breeze. Uh, just on our current generation, which we call the, the Gen 2 shirts, uh, the pockets actually have a segmented inner pocket that was specifically set up so that you don't just dump a bunch of stuff in the pocket and have it bag out. You have a normal pocket in front, but against the body of the shirt, you have these two mini pockets, I guess I would characterize them as. One is suited for a cell phone, so you can have it right there accessible. The other is really very much a pen pocket. I happen to carry one of the short little Fisher bullet pens in it, and even with the shorter size, it, it works out perfectly. Uh, and both pockets have this addition to it, uh, so you can use them however you, you, you see fit. Uh, some of the more subtle aspects of the shirt design are we were trying to get away from the annoying, catchy tags in the neck. Mm. And I think we've all heard so many people complain about this, and so many of us have actually snipped out yeah, most cut the them tags. Out. Uh, you don't have to do that with our shirts, because right from the get-go, our tags are sewn into the placket at the bottom of the shirt below the, the buttons. Uh, so it's a much better spot, we believe, uh, to avoid any sort of irritation. Uh, on top of that, they're actually made in America right here in our shop, which mm -hmm. you just saw. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we have very high standards for everything we produce, and the shirts are no exception to that. So we know for a fact that rather than having them sourced from you know, somewhere you know, 5,000 miles away, where they're made right here every single day under our noses, and we get to keep a pretty close eye on the quality. So the more recent additions we've had on the shirts are some low-profile subdued shirts, and subdued in the sense of being monochromatic. Uh, as much as we love all the, the patterns, uh, the truth is, in some areas, like in the PDs, that doesn't fly so well. Yeah. And we've had some police detectives that wanted uh, single-color shirts. So we actually do them now in a navy blue, a tan, and sort of a, a slightly creamy natural white. Uh, so those are all options. But right now, that's probably the other product I'm the most intrigued by. And I've, I've had some shirts from each of our generations, I believe, we're coming right to the end of our second generation now and um, of patterns, I should say. And I really, really have enjoyed them a great deal. They've become my uniform of the day. Yeah, they're a nice shirt. I mean, you, you, you look at them, they blend right in. Nobody, again, a, a lot of the, the stuff and how I try and dress is just, I don't want anybody to take a second look at. You just, exactly. you blend into the crowd and you, and you move on. Um, I actually really like the one, the... Uh, I don't know what you call like the yellow and brown with the geckos on it. I, uh, oh, that which is, is similar to your your pattern, the, the one back there. You know, yeah. the irony is I named that one, and I'm, I'm trying to come <laughs> up with uh, the name on this right I, now. I, I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. like that material. One thing that's kind of nice about going with the uh, with hot using feet. generation two uh, hot feet. hot feet. Yeah. Um, one thing that's nice about it, if you're constantly changing the material, is that it's not really going to become dated. You'll always have something that's available that, again, is current and kind of blends in. Exactly. So. All righty. Oh, um, we do, if I might say, we when we're buying the material, Michael 
uh, who, by the way, is our webmaster and uh, graphic artist and uh, uh, my part-time bodyguard. <laughs> uh, and uh, Samantha and Cindy and I get together, and with the with the reps that, that sell the material, we pick out material. And then we determine among us how much we'll sell. So we buy enough material to make from 50 to 200 shirts. And when those shirts are gone, the material's gone. It won't happen again. Now, it's possible that a few years uh, down the road or something like that, the uh, uh, we may come up with it again uh, because we liked it and missed it, uh, and that might happen. But uh, uh, basically, we're, um, we, we have probably uh, half a dozen patterns in now uh, that we'll be making later. So there's always something different that's, uh, that's, that's coming up. Mm -hmm. may, may I also mention, if, if you don't mind, Tony, that uh, uh, our security door and gate Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to make mention of that because we'll, if, if somebody mentions that they're a member of the NRA, uh, we'll give them uh, a special deal. Uh, but the security door and the window guards are the first line of defense against these prolific uh, home invasions and uh, and break-ins. Somebody cannot get in your house without making a heck of a lot of noise and racket to alert you. And this is very important. So uh, we'll be happy to uh, to come out and uh, give estimates and things and then let us know if you're a member of the NRA and uh, we'll take care of you. Yeah, I've got a, a security door on my house and I think a couple of episodes I talked about those as well. And... Uh... One of the points that I'd made in the show was that I think that if you could only spend money on one thing, uh, that would be to get that security door. Um, for me, more more so than an alarm system, uh, you've got that security door. That's where all the UPS guys are going to come. That's where anybody who's a salesman is going to come. That's where if somebody has a problem reading the meter, they're going to come to that front door. That's where all your interaction comes in. You've got to have a barrier there uh, to where if even if somebody tried to get something, it, they're not going to pull through iron. It's just not going to happen. So you've got a, a real effective barrier. Exactly right. All right, gents. Well, I think that wraps it up for today. Again, thank you for your time. And, it was uh, our pleasure. Thank you, Tony. And having me out. If you'd like to contact me, if you have a comment or suggestion for the show, there's a couple of different ways you can get a hold of me. The easiest way is going to be to send me an email or uh, an mp3 file to firearmscafe at gmail.com. Um, the other way to do that would be to go on our forums over at Gun Rights Radio Network and under the Firearms Cafe section you can leave a comment or suggestion for me there as well. This is going to be my review of the Wilderness Tactical Instructor's Belt. When I first got my concealed carry license, I wanted to get a decent belt for concealed carry. And I knew that I needed something that was going to have support. Uh, so not knowing a whole lot, what I did in my research is I you know, went to some of the different forums and I went to some of the uh, bigger name trainers and looked at what they recommended and if they didn't recommend a let's say a specific name and a lot of them said you know that a really good belt 
was the Wilderness Tactical Instructor's Belt. Uh, a lot of those guys, guys like Clint Smith, guys like Michael Bain, uh, Tom Gresham, a lot of those guys were talking about that that's the belt that they used. And when you would watch them on television or see them on, uh, let's say, videos from YouTube or wherever, you would see that they would be wearing that type of a belt, if not the actual belt. Um, and so I said, well, if those guys are all using a wilderness tactical belt, there's probably something to it. And so I figured, well, I'll go ahead and try it out. I got to tell you, I really like the belt. Um, I've had mine for, oh, almost two years now, I guess. And the thing wears like iron. Um, it's still, it, it has, when, when, you, when you put the belt down, it has sort of like that curved or that U shape. So it kind of already conforms to your body. Uh, I carry a full-size Glock and the the belt is good and stiff enough to where it can support it. Um, it attaches, it goes through, um, oh, like the riggers loop. If you go to the website, um, so if you go over to, to um, uh, Wilderness Tactical or even if you just Google um, the instructor's belt, you'll be able to go ahead and take a look at it. Um, for the price that you're getting the belt for, like I said, I've had mine for almost two years now, and it still looks like it's brand new. Uh, it doesn't have any wear on it. Eventually, I think what will happen, because the way that you uh, kind of lap the, the belt over to the one side, is it's done with Velcro. And uh, eventually, that Velcro will probably get kind of fuzzy. Uh, but I don't imagine that happening probably for at least another couple of years if if the, the wear that I've got right now is any indication. Um, as far as being uh, supportive for having for having the um, uh, for carrying the Glock that that 17, which again that's the full size and it's got uh, the standard capacity for that firearm is 17 rounds. So you've got a lot of ammo in the gun, so you've got a lot of weight. I use a inside the waistband holster. I use a Milt Sparks um, Summer Special that I really, I really, really like. That um, you, you got good retention with that, and uh, I've never felt that it's going to come out or or, or fall away. Um, but the belt, what the belt does is it doesn't put the weight of the gun on your pants. What it does is because the belt is rigid enough. It keeps the the weight of the gun on the belt, so you've got good support. So that most of the time, I kind of forget that I have it on. I've got real good support with it. Um, like I said, an all around, just a really good belt. If you're um, brand new and you want something that isn't going to set you back, uh, you know, three or four hundred dollars, like some of these belts or some of the custom belts that I've seen. Now you can get it in what they call either a three stitch or a five stitch. I went with the five stitch just because I wanted I wanted to get the most sort of stiffness and rigidity and support from the belt that I could get, um, and that I think cost me uh, again when I bought it a couple of years ago like forty four dollars I think. So for that price to get a belt that for forty four bucks you're probably going to have a belt that's going to last you almost indefinitely uh, like i said eventually any anything that anybody makes eventually was is going to wear out on you um but like i said i've had mine for a couple of years now and it's showing really no 
no signs of wear. Um, so let's say if the belt lasts me just four years, well, I've only paid $11 a year for it. You, I mean, you can't beat that price. So I would definitely recommend it. Go ahead, pick one up. You won't be disappointed. As far as sizing goes, you can go to the website and they kind of they give pretty good instructions on uh, how you should do it and size it. Um, the only downside I would say is that if you wanted to wear the belt with um, something like suit pants or something that has real small belt loops, of course, because the belt is wider for support, you're not going to be able to do that. But uh, it, it fits most of the shorts that I wear it with. It fits most of my jeans. Um, like I said, the only thing where it doesn't fit is on some uh, some like suit pants that I have. And that's going to be a wrap on my review of Wilderness Tacticals Instructor Belt. Initiating shutdown sequence.